Was it JP Morgan? Who are we supposed to quote him from? We don't know. Someone just, yeah. It's the uh, it's the appeal to authority is what you do. You <laughs> name, name someone smart and important. It makes what you're about to say a bit more impactful. Hopefully, Blaise Pascal, mate. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Thank you, Google. Uh, yep. like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no idea. Uh, I knew I knew it wasn't him though. Um, I knew it wasn't Bertrand Russell. But you know, eventually there'll be a Bertrand Russell quote or a JP Morgan quote or a Keynes quote or something. We'll it was get, close. We'll get there. It was we'll close. Get there. Speaking of which, quick tip, next week we are going to do some of our favourite investment quotes. So make sure you hang around yeah, for next week's episode because it's going to be fun. Mate, uh, yeah, look, uh, to your point, I, um, I here's the good news. I have, a, I have a, so we've talked about Perla before. I, I'm trialling Perla, the new brokerage. I love the approach they're taking. It's fully long-term. You can't get your daily movements on Perla. You don't oh, get the monthly movements. Okay. They literally just show you the value, balance of your portfolio since you started. And that's the point. They're all about, they, they say they're in the business of long-term boring investing. Uh, and yeah, you just, they don't actually, they, they make a point of just not, not doing it. It's like, it's not what we do. We're not, we're not trying to encourage people to look at their portfolios all the time. We're just going to tell you how much you've got now, how much has grown since you've put your first dollar in, and that's what we're going to tell you. Nice. I, just, I really, I mean, I don't know how, they, I've, I've said before to the guy, I don't know how you're going to make money, dude. You're supposed to be encouraged just to hypertrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but here's something cool. So they sent out a, a year in review, um, little kind of uh, a little feature on the website. You click the button, they show you the, your year in review. I managed to check that portfolio four times a month on average. Huh. Which, I was, which I thought was pretty good. I'm going to try and get it down in 2022. That's one of my New Year's resolutions, not to stick too far ahead. But I'm going to try and get that down from four times a month to even less than that. We'll see how that pans out. They're not my only broker, I should say, for full disclosure. So I'm not quite that good. Uh, but yeah, four times a month, I was pretty happy with. Yeah, you got to be happy with that. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's amazing. Like when I do, and as I say, I can't help myself. I do check often. How much of my daily mood is is impacted by a little <laughs> downward-facing right. red arrow or an upward-facing <laughs> green arrow on, yeah. on my little smartphone yeah. app? You know, it just you just feel you've got an extra sp- a spring in your step when things are going well. It's, of course, it's all meaningless, but you know, it's um, totally, totally. for your own mental health. It's, it's it's something you want to try and tune down, tune down yeah. at least, if not tune out. Mate, speaking of speaking of all these things, um, speaking of not checking the portfolio very often, we had some communication on Twitter over the last couple of days. And again, we're going back to the middle of December almost. So it's the 20th today we're recording, it's the 20th of December. So again, if something happened seriously between now and when you're listening to this, we apologise in advance or in arrears, whichever way you want to look at it, because uh, we don't know what happens next. Uh, you do, we don't. We'll find out when we get there. But um, mate, we had a... a, a, a well, you, you, can, you can describe the interaction we had on Twitter with a, with a fellow listener who, uh, well, took... You to task, or maybe both of us, I'm not sure which. Yes. Uh, it was something in, we, in one of the recent episodes we talked about um, the dangers of, of anchoring, um, mm-hmm. the endowment effect, and some of these behavioural mm-hmm. flaws that keep people holding on to investments longer than they reasonably rationally could. <laughs> and uh, Shane, I think it was, pointed out that, uh, well, Andrew, it seems like you could be doing that with a stock or two that you own, <laughs> knowing a few of the stocks that I own. And uh, yeah. I think which, Pushpay was highlighted, if I remember right. Pushpay was one of the ones that's highlighted. hasn't done well lately. So okay. um, to which my reply was, do as they say, not as I do, um, <laughs> which as a parent I, gets trotted out quite a lot. <laughs> but perhaps perhaps apt in this case. Oh, hey, so speak, I mean, so, I don't know, this is a massive tangent because that's what we do here. Have you ever thought about what we expect of kids that we don't expect of adults? If we, if we run an office like we run our kids' lives or if we had our kids get to say back to us things we say to them when we act up, I don't know. My, I reckon kids got a really tough – like, you know, I don't feel super sorry for them. They've they got to grow up and all that kind of stuff. But we give them – relative to what we put ourselves or let ourselves off for, 
We give them a hard time, I reckon. Yeah, it's a rite of passage. Though our parents did it to us, and you know, sunrise, <laughs> sunset, circle of life. That's how it goes. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that shades of didn't hurt me, so I can do it to you? Absolutely. The, the, oh dear, we <laughs> yeah, go. Now it's your turn. Kane is being used in the in the page household, mate. Um, so speaking of speaking of anchoring, then um, let's let's go into that a little bit okay. because it's it's a it's a really good topic, and maybe. I don't know. I feel a little bit guilty. We're starting the new year by talking about anchoring, which kind of feels like a bit of a, you know, we're supposed to be letting go of the past and moving on. But maybe that is the point. Um, it's really, really hard as humans. I don't know. There, there, will be, there will be some sort of biological basis for it. I assume it's just, you know, we extrapolate. We kind of, we have to as humans work on heuristics. Otherwise, you'd never get out of bed because the conscious choices you would have to make just to have breakfast, to take you all day, right? Mm-hmm. Do, do I walk down the hallway? Do I use my left foot first or my right foot first? Do I turn the light on or do I turn the light off? Do, you know, the, if you had to literally consider every action and possible action, you just wouldn't have made down the hallway, let alone have breakfast and you'd be buggered by lunchtime. So anchoring is kind of, it, it's a natural result of the way we've learned to actually literally function, right? Mm-hmm. Animals have innate behaviour. We have a combination of innate behaviour and then just those heuristics that we learn over, you know, a, a life of experience, when it comes to investing, as as so much of investing, investing is almost. I'm, I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced that if I was to define investing, it would be something like the ability to ignore every single human impulse that we'd otherwise respond to. Because hmm. that's kind of the idea, right? It, it it requires so much of our mental effort just to overcome the things we would naturally otherwise do. Hmm. And anchoring is one of those things. Kind of picking something and just sticking with it is so natural, right? I think you you kind of need to look at this through the context of of deep time and, and mm. understand that as a modern species, we've been around for like two or 300,000 years. So if you've got mm-hmm. a piece of string and sort of pulled it out 100 metres long, our modern lifestyle is like the last inch. <laughs> you know, it's really, <laughs> we lose perspective. It's very, very unusual, the lifestyle mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. live today. And like, you know, it's mm. sort of, and for the longest of times where your great, 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 yeah. great grandfather and your great, 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 great grandchildren had right? exactly the same life as you and things didn't change that yeah. much. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, maybe anchoring in some, for some biological reason made made a hell of a lot of sense. In, on financial right. markets, it doesn't. And what we're really talking about here is this idea of making decisions based on, in, usually in, in the context of investing, on what a price was in the past. Mm-hmm. And it goes both ways. It's like, well, yes. I'm, up, I'm up massively, so it doesn't really matter what happens from here. Or, you know, yeah. oh, my God, I've lost yeah. 50%. Um, yeah, I'll sell, yeah, but I just yeah. wanted to get back to the price that I, you know, we, 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 we need something oh, to grab onto. And we grab yeah. onto something which actually makes no difference to the decision that that faces yeah. us, and it and it it yeah we we favour the status quo, which means that you know we we don't act when we should, and it's a very pernicious problem. You know what? I, you know what I find. I mean, this is, honestly, if you had to if you had to develop a, a, a biological system just to screw with people, that like you would you would you would develop all of those the exact behavioural biases that we fall victim to, right? Because talk about anchoring, right? At some past price. Not only the way you described it, but two different people would anchor to the same thing, the opposite thing, in the same way. So, yes. you know, some people will say the share price is down. I'm not buying a share price, a share that's falling. That's crazy. The exact same person, or sorry, the opposite person would say shares are up. Why would I buy the shares after they've gone up? I should have bought them before they started going up. That's crazy. Mm. And you kind of think so. You won't, you know, some people won't buy them if they're up. Some people won't buy them if they're down. And those people probably swap positions depending on the day, depending on the date, depending on what they already own. Literally, we can take the exact same idea and find reasons not to do either yeah. action. It, it, it's, it's kind of cra- – I mean, it's not crazy. It's human nature, but it's it's fascinating when you think about it, the, our ability to really get it in our own way. And it's not even surprising. It's not even a criticism because it's it's our own biology literally going, just laughing at us going, you know what? I'm going to make this really, really, really hard for you. Yeah. 
On the flip side, though, maybe maybe the system we've designed is actually the exact reverse of that because if it was just the easy stuff, there'd be nothing in it. Yes. Uh, the, the whole idea of investing, we invest specifically because we want to make more than the average bear and mm. that requires us to do something different. Otherwise, things would already be evenly priced and the future would be knowable and yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. It is the, you know, Buffett, let's quote Buffett early on, we're a couple of minutes in, we now that got that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he talks about his 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 key differentiated being temperament, that, that very idea that it is literally that which separates the good from the ordinary or the bad investor is just the ability to control your emotion and that's where the money is. And just to dig into that a little bit, it's not that Buffett himself is immune to any of these things and, in fact, yeah, none point. of us none of us are. Being aware of yep. a, these problems yep. really helps and there's a, there's a spectrum along which everyone sits. There are some people that are really mm-hmm. sensitive to it and some, some that are less so. Um, but I think the first place to start from is, is that it's very easy when you start talking about this kind of stuff to sort of sit back on the sidelines and go, ah, ha, ha, people are so dumb. Yeah, like, well, right. you're a people. Those people over there. Yeah, that's <laughs> we right. We all are. We all are. That being said, that being said, yeah. if, if you can be slightly more aware yes. of it and if you can um, really be on top of that, it, it is such mm-hmm. a massive edge. If I had the choice between someone who had a 200-point IQ but not, not very emotionally uh, – well built to withstand those kinds of things or yeah. someone who has had a very high emotional quotient but not necessarily yeah. the highest IQ. I'd go the latter every day when it comes oh, to investing. In a heartbeat, you in know? a literal heartbeat. I'm, I'm very pleased with that, by the way, because I'm not the smartest guy in any room I go into. <laughs> I'm literally not, right? Up for a deficiency, oh, well, that, but, yeah. But that, that's, that's why it's okay. Like, you know, if, if it literally is a test of IQ, I wouldn't have a job. And that's completely great. I'm, I'm completely okay. There are so many smarter people than me um, and that's completely fine. But that whole idea that, you know, they're, and they're also, by the way, a whole, I've, I've used the example before, probably over the last couple of weeks, I can't remember, but long-term capital management was a hedge fund in the, was it the 90s? Yeah, mate? yeah look, it up, look it up on uh, Wikipedia. It's a fascinating story. LTCM. They had 12, count them, 12 Nobel laureates on staff. Guess how well they did? Yeah, well, mm, we, know, we know how this radio ends. Yeah. Right? And that's the thing. And you kind of go, so if, if 12 Nobel laureates, literally if, if brain power mattered, they would, the, the, the story we're telling today would be entirely different. They would be the hedge fund kings of the world. If all it required was some computer models, some smart people getting around a room, doing what they needed to do, I, I just, you know, and it's and it's not, you, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm being mindful here because there are a lot of smart people listening to us and I don't want to criticise or, or, or uh, <laughs> talk down to any of them, but I, I agree with you completely, Matt. I would happily take the average intelligence but quality temperament over the, the smartest person I could find regardless of their temperament. In fact, I know some great investors who aren't the smartest people in the world. I know some really smart people who are just terrible investors because whether it's hubris, whether it's uh, ego, I don't, I don't know whether they're used to being right. I don't know what it is. Um, and again, this is not necessarily universally applicable. Buffett is absolutely smarter than the average person, by the way. So it's not that he's not. It's just that he actually controls his temperament as well. Charles Munger's the same. Mm. Uh, just a massive, massive difference, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the, I mean, like, let, let's be clear. It doesn't hurt to be intelligent. <laughs> you want, yeah. it's, a good, it's a good trait to have. <laughs> but in, in isolation and without the yeah. em- emotional fortitude that is required, it is it's actually, that's when it becomes dangerous. I actually think it's inverse, mate. I think it's inversely proportional. Mm. It, the smarter you are, the more dangerous your investing becomes if you don't have that temperament. If you're moderately smart, you could probably get away with it because you don't have the ego, the hubris that goes with it. Mm. When you know you're the smartest person in the room or we know you're accomplished or you're used to being successful and not used to being wrong, that's a recipe for disaster. If you don't have humility in investing, you are going to dash up against the rocks at some point. It's going to be ugly is my likely yes. supposition. Yep. Mate, Tom, let's go back to Shane's tweet just for fun. Uh, Shane says... Uh, at Sage underscore Simeon, at TMF Scott P. Listen to your recent podcast regarding human behavior. 
Terms like endowment effect, thesis creep, holder bias, etc. Just wondering how much of this applies to Andrew's continued defence of push pay. <laughs> Harder to practice what you preach, I guess. Now, Shane, I love that you bagged Ram, not me. It makes me very, very happy. But I also, in complete fullness of, uh, of you know, responsibility, uh, I've mentioned a certain electronics retailer that does most of its business online before. Uh, that electronics retailer is not doing particularly well right now and the same, the same criticism could easily be levelled at me, Shane. I also, as Andrew well knows, have a have a shareholding in a certain beverage business, uh, now called Good Drinks Australia. It used to be called Gage Roads Brewing. Uh, I've had those shares as Andrew and I worked together. So I want to say, was it eight years ago, mate, that we, I probably bought them? I think like we bought them. Longer? I was working at your house at the time. And I think yeah, we actually yeah. bought them on the same day because we had our trading window was open. We disclosed <laughs> it to our members. <laughs> thought, I actually really like this. Had a really interesting play, the contract brewing that Woolies owned 20% stake in the business. Mm-hmm. A lot of distribution there. We had a really smart thesis, mate. Um, didn't play out, Well, though. here's the thing. Didn't here's play the problem, out. We, so we bought them at the same time. Only one of us still holds them, I think. Is that right? Yeah, I got the hell out pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I did. <laughs> so, so I still own shares in Good Drinks Australia. Uh, my current, my current uh, performance, I, I'm still down 32.48%. Oof. I've just pulled up my brokerage account to have a look. Um, it hasn't been a pretty ride. The share price has gone, I think, probably nowhere in the last three or four years. And speaking of all those things, Shane, you just mentioned, there is no good reason for you to own this business. I like, and it's it's a really well. That was my was question to you when I found out. It's like, why? Right? Has something changed that I'm not aware of? So it, it was a small position anyway. It's a smaller position now. I still don't think um, that's a good enough excuse. I'm, I'm well, going to expect you to sell these next time we talk because here's you, the thing: you, don't, right? you need yeah. to give me and the listeners a really good reason. Maybe, the, and this is it. This is, is going to be my answer to. I know what you're going to put yep. to me very yep. soon too, is that you may be wrong up till now, but doesn't mean you're wrong going forward. So maybe you I'm can turn it around and say, well, Andrew, I get it, but uh, <laughs> hear me out. There's there's a great no. reason to hold it. Is, is there no. a great, that's that's what I want to ask you. Ask you. No, I, I, have, I have no such defense. Then you need this to is, sell. This, is, you need to this sell. is pure inertia. This is pure just like, oh, I still own it and it's fine. It's there. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Eventually, maybe. I, I am the slacker seller in the entire world, mate, oh, as, you, as you probably know well. Um, I, last thing I sold, I don't know how many years ago it was. It was years and years and years. I'm just not a really bad seller. Like I'm kind of one of those people who I, I don't, I don't collect for the sake of it. Like it's not like it's a collector thing. I just, I just, it's in the portfolio now. It's down. It's like, oh, okay, well, okay. You know what your problem is? You've probably just got too much money, Scott. I wish I was in that (laughs) position because for me, what I see, what I see when I'm in that situation is opportunity cost. It's just like, it's not the regret of it not working out because that happens all the time as an investor. I'm pretty used to that. Maybe, maybe more (laughs) used to it than some. Um, But I, but I do think even if it's a small amount of money, it's kind of like, I could yeah. press. I could literally press my my smartphone screen mm-hmm. eight times, yeah. and it would be in something else. So I can I can pick the jockey yeah. up off this yeah, yeah, yeah. dead dying nag, and I can put it on this beautiful <laughs> thoroughbred over here that's just making a bolt for the finish line. You know, the, yeah. maybe, maybe that maybe that trips over at the, at the last minute as well. But but it's so yep. easy to do. And you know what? There's yep. not even a. T- Sometimes people go, oh yeah, but there's this massive capital gains liability. I'll have to pay if I sell. <laughs> I'm like, I, that I can kind of get that. But then oh when, on a loss, you don't even have that to worry about. I got no excuse. I got literally no excuse. It, I mean, it's inertia, and it's a. You know what? This part of me, I'm absolutely sure. Like. I, I mean, I need a couch and, and uh, you be Dr. Freud for a while, but I, I think it's partly kind of one of those, you know, we, we always joke, oh, as soon as I buy this thing, it's going to go down. I, part of me is like, as soon oh, as I, I thought sell. there was a thesis there and, yeah. and maybe if I sell it, maybe it'll go up and I'll be like, oh, I held on it for that long. You know, I held on it for four, five, six, seven, eight years 
And I finally sold it. You know what? Just after I sold it, things went well. You know what's so going to happen. Yeah. Oh, totally. There's, there's part of me that's like, oh, just, I'll just, just hold on just in case. It's, it's completely irrational, right? And so that's your, your response of do as I say, not as I do. Um, it's absolutely true. And, and we, I hope we've never um, suggested to our listeners that we are better than anybody else. We, I feel like I and I think you have some advantages over the average person because we've been around this job for a while. And you know what You know what the biggest advantage of, of my job is? I'm, I don't know if it's the same for you, Andrew, but it's... You know, they say you learn by teaching. Yeah. I am, I am such a better investor. So, dear 100%. listener, not, not, only, not only is this for free, I should be paying you to listen to this. I'm not going to, but I should be because I'm a better investor because I have this job, right? I'm a better investor because we do this podcast. Yeah. And, and so, yes, I, but, but by the same time, I'm still bloody infallible. Uh, it's still fallible. So, the good drinks, there is zero reason to hold these shares, like absolutely none. It's tiny. It's a tiny portion of my portfolio, so it's all fine. Um, but as you say, mate, it's absolutely the case that if I was, to, you know, I've had some big winners since then, right? If I had sold the shares and put them into something else, I'd have more money. Like it's, mm. it's, it's makes no sense. Mm. Um, so as well, you, as you ne- said, well, you've said it. So, so next time we chat, I'm going to ask uh, every every week. I'm saying, hey, you still got your base <laughs> shares? Because you've just you've just admitted publicly that there's no good reason to hold it, and so I'm going to hold you, know, you to it. So you, uh, yeah. So I have to the two two disclosures. The first is because we are pre-recording this, I'm actually not allowed to sell now until after this goes to air. Uh, uh, and so the next time you speak to me, actually, will also be a pre-recorded episode. So I won't have I won't be able to sell it. Actually, here's the thing about our trading rules, right? Because we're doing pre-recording this, this is going to go on the seventh of January. Again, good Lord willing, the creeks don't rise. Um, I can't sell it until at least two full trading days after this goes to air. Uh, so we're recording this in, in mid-December. Fingers crossed me now. that Maybe it goes up. Maybe I'm a genius by then, mate. Is, is it possible? No, I'm not that lucky. Uh, it'll probably go down. That's what it would be. It would be price. luck, if anything. <laughs> well, maybe not. We might, we might re-edit this episode. If it goes up, I'll be able to answer it entirely differently. See, I told you it was going to go up. I'm, I'm a genius. <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? Well, so, so again, people in glass houses, so I should probably turn things around. <laughs> Chuck some stones around, yeah, shall we? I, I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely guilty. Uh, absolutely, mm. I've done that a lot of times before. In regard to, I really don't want to make mm. this a, a pitch for any particular stock because I just ah. I don't like doing that on a podcast. But <laughs> yeah, um, right. in regards to, to push pay, that, that it's actually happened to me a few times where I sort of I've mm. had this investment thesis. I thought that this was a. By the mm. way, these guys sort of do donation management for big mega churches over in the US. Um, revenue is growing incredibly strongly. A very profitable business. Big market opportunity. Global leader. Mm. It's really cool mm. business. Um, but it's kind of it's it's revenue slowed a little bit and the market's just fallen out of love and it's just come away lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the reason is so, and this is that this is the this is the brutal dichotomy of investing. So you got to hold two opposing <laughs> yep. ideas in your head <laughs> at one time. Yep. Yep. Uh, so on one on one hand, you've got this idea of uh, <laughs> you've you've got to have conviction, right? Don't let mm-hmm. the volatility and the short termism of the market. <laughs> freak you out and force you out of a, a, a otherwise really great long-term investment. Yeah. And on the other hand, we've just sort of said, actually, don't anchor, don't don't fall in love with your stocks. <laughs> if it hasn't gone well, you need to, yep. you know, yep. so which which one is it? Well, it's, it's kind of, yep. it's kind of both. Um, and this mm-hmm. is, this is the hard part with, with buying shares is that are you buying shares because you're speculating that the mm-hmm. share price is going up or are you buying shares because you think they represent an attractive business with a bright future? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if that's the second one, it's kind of like, it's really hard to use, you know, even a 12 month price to sort of say whether that view is wrong or not. Maybe mm-hmm. you overpaid. Sorry, Certainly your timing was wrong, but does that mean yep. you're wrong? I, I, yep. It's not, I'm trying to save I'm not trying to say face here for the for the sake of it, but maybe just articulate. Yep. No, no, that's no, a, you're a little bit right, more. I, 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 look, yep. I could be. I, I could. I'm really aware of the fact that I could be suffering from all of those usual <laughs> uh, behavioural biases, but mm-hmm. my position today would be: 
Yes, um, I still think the business is a very attractive one. I'm a very happy shareholder in that business. I have likewise pared back some of my growth expectations just on on various news events and the rest of it. But I can still I can still do a bit of maths and work out that you know I actually think these shares are pretty reasonably priced under a pretty high conviction uh, outlook for the future as to where this mm, business mm. is in five years' time. So again, we'll we'll find out. But I would <laughs> the, the real question, as we often frame it, is if I if all my shares was accidentally sold by my broker yesterday mm. and I was given the cash and I was at the opportunity to, to put it back to work, um, <laughs> would I buy shares in this company again? And I think I yep. would. And that's, that's right. why I hold. So I hope that, I hope that explains it, but I, I'm very overtly <laughs> aware of the irony or dichotomy that's sort of present. Yep. And this is, this is really, really- Cognitive really, dissonance is the word I was It's really about. important, mate, because this is, this is the crux of investing for all of the other stuff we just talked about. And when, even when you said, oh, you're obviously wrong on the timing because the shares kept falling. Uh, wrong in the sense that there was to be, it turned out, a cheaper price at some point you could have bought them for. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'd known that, that, I wouldn't have bought when I did. Of course. <laughs> but, but on the same token, to be wrong, you have – and this is where I think some investors beat themselves up and I actually think it's unproductive, right? I think it's actually counterproductive. It, not that not you, but, you know, when you say, oh, I was wrong, I was wrong means I made a mistake. I made a mistake means I did the wrong thing, means I, I should have done something better. Mm. And I don't think that's true, mate, because I don't think you ever said to yourself or to anybody else, this is the lowest price I think it'll get to, therefore I'm buying today. Yep. What you said was these shares are attractive, I think worth more in the future. And I think, I know for sure, they may be higher or lower in a month, six months, 12 months time. And so I don't think, I don't think that's wrong, Matt. I don't think, because you, you know, because you, you express no view on the future, you know, the short-term future price of the shares. You know, was it the lowest price you could have bought it for? No. Was it, was it the most optimum price in hindsight? No. Does that make it wrong? I don't think I really... Okay, I really, really you're right. Yeah, that. I hear what you know? you're saying and, and thank you. I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not, not but, doing it for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, <laughs> but let, let, me, let me again, on, on behalf on, of listeners, yes, so isn't, isn't that just darn convenient? Because you, uh, Scott Phillips, me, Andrew Page, anyone sort of as this financial, <laughs> financial pundit can say, yeah. can prognosticate on any stock they like, right? Yep. So I think XYZ yep. is a fantastic company. Yep. Uh, a year later, they're down 30%. And I can say, well, you know, was I wrong? I still think they'll be up in five years. I mean, you can always you can always tell this story of actually I wasn't wrong because the share price doesn't matter. Like, I think that would be a fair charge for someone to sort of say. Um, and I guess to answer my own question, I think the thing there is you've got to, as an investor, define what failure looks like. Correct. And for me, again, just to stick with the example, failure for me mm-hmm. would be this company not growing as I anticipated. It would yep. it would be for the profitability of margins to sort of change, market share dynamics to change, like just just mm-hmm. the ongoing long term prospects of the business to have materially degraded, um, or just yeah. not been as 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 attractive as I previously had felt. Regardless mm-hmm. of whether the price up, down, or sideways, when when that realization is is made, if it is ever made. That's when I think yep. you go wrong. It, and it, it's by clearly defining that that stops you from this fuzzy, oh, I know I was wrong to now, but don't worry, the next five years will be great and I'll be proven <laughs> a genius in the fullness of time. It, and, and that's, again, as we always say, write out your investment thesis. Yep. We, we love to use the word thesis, don't we? Because it makes you sound a bit smarter than, <laughs> than maybe we are. It's, piece of, write <laughs> out your why buy. Why you bought it. Yep, why you buy it? What does it do? Why do you think it's going to yep, be worth yep. more in the future? You know, just some really yep. round nuts. It doesn't have to be anything too super advanced. You know, the company's earning yep. presumably a, you know, X million dollars worth of sales right now. What's that going to be in five years' time? Why is it going to be that in five mm-hmm. years' time? You know, just start thinking through that. Once you, yep. once you sort of write that out, you'll be in a much better place. But also, while you're doing that, you'll flag to yourself, 
yourself the things that really matter to actually say, Andrew, you were you were wrong, unequivocally, objectively wrong, because mm. this business mm. is not uh, performing as as you thought it would. Mm. I think that's right. I think I think the I think the here's, I I often use a football example, right? So you, you say, oh, someone says a great player. Someone says going to be a great player. I see this kid playing. He looks fantastic. He's going to be a great player. And then he lets in a tackle. He missed a tackle. Maybe maybe the other team scores a try. Maybe they even win the game. Oh, see, I was wrong. That, that player, he's going to be a terrible player. See, 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 look, he's doing badly. Mm. It's like, well, that's a whole different... Steve Waugh was dropped from the Australian cricket team for his brother Mark, mm. right, back in the whatevers, 1990-somethings, right? He wanted to be one of our best test captains, one of our best test batsmen. Looking at Steve Waugh saying, I think he's going to be a great player, and they having him dropped from the side. Was his short-term form ordinary? Yeah. Did he struggle to make the adjustment test cricket? Absolutely. Mm. Did that mean he wasn't a great batsman in the fullness of time? No, of course not. You know, the, the, the players that kick 1,000 goals in AFL, they still miss every now and again. Yeah. Does, do they go from wonderful to terrible to wonderful to terrible? No, of course they don't. Yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's a directionally accurate thing. And I think that's, for me, it's like, you know, if I, if I expect something, look, your point about five years is really important too. So what's your time frame? Yeah. You know, I've, I've been horribly wrong about some stocks. That doesn't make me a bad investor because I've been right about more of them and they're doing better. So I think there's some value there. I've also been wrong about stocks in the short term. And they've gone. They've got better over time, and so you know. Again, it's it's just. I think you know. I, I just want to drag it out because you know you say you're wrong, and I think that's right. But I just I want to be careful for our listeners that they don't start equating the I bought at a price and went down further. See, I'm bad at, about at investing, or I was wrong to buy it at that price, or whatever. If if you know if you can find eighty cents, uh, if you can find a dollar that's worth that being sold for eighty cents, whether it goes seventy in the meantime is irrelevant. If you get your dollar back in time, that's the point, right? Yeah. The other thing that's really important to point out here too is that if that is your view, and that's that's my view as well, yep. is that that doesn't give you any light. Let's say I buy something. Like, let's let's paint another scenario. Let's say I, mm-hmm. I I like and hold another company, and I publicly disclose it, and for whatever darn reason, this thing triples in the next few months. Yeah. There is no legitimacy for me to yeah, sort yeah. of carry yeah, on and go, Woo, yeah. look how great I am. Told you, I told you, look how smart I am. Mean, <laughs> yeah. That that you, you can't have yeah. it, you can't have your cake and eat it too, and yeah, you can't exactly. have it both ways. Which exactly. is why I'm always, always, you know, I'm very, very <laughs> reluctant to, to sort of ever claim victory on anything because totally. pride before fall happens mm-hmm. in the markets all the time. It's also mm-hmm. Frankly, a, a really I found um, useful red flag mm-hmm. when listening and watching other people that are out there. The kind of person that goes, mm-hmm. "Oh, look how smart I picked this at that," and, I, and then all, you, you see it on Twitter all the time in social media is these these stock picking gurus who have never laid a foot wrong, and you know, uh, m- for whatever reason, whether it's true or not, have, have had some really exceptional short term returns, and then and then claiming some predictive mm-hmm. sentience and, and overstating how confident they were. That was just. It doesn't happen like that. that. It, it it just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And and anyone that I sort of see yeah, carrying yeah, on yeah. like that, it's an instant. Yeah. It's only a matter of time before you fall flat on your face. Yeah. That's if I believe you in the first place, because it's just it just doesn't ring true with my twenty something years mm-hmm. of experience mm-hmm. and watching some really fantastic investors who all suffer from all, all of these kinds of things, um, yeah. and are very quick, very very quick to cl- to to acknowledge when things aren't working out well, and very slow mm-hmm. to claim any credit. Yeah, I I try to model that myself. I don't always get it right, but I I hate people who take pictures up on Twitter, for example. Of I just think it's just it's, just, it's classless anyway. Yeah. But it's just like you know what? Unless they unless it's like the bloke who wins at the CAB on Saturday, but then doesn't talk to you about it for the next month until he has another win. Mm. It's just like you know it, it it just looks crappy. The what, what you know what annoys me most though is that there are no there are no brownie points for people like you and I who don't do that. And the people who do it are the ones who get followed by Twitter by hundreds of thousands of people because they say they did this right and that right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of back to the behavioural biases we start with, right? Just be careful who you listen to. Yeah. And, 
you know, just because they had a win or a couple of wins or even a big win, you know, differentiating that from luck or con- uh, uh, circumstance, really, really, really hard to do. So look for a long-term track record. Look for someone who discloses at the very least their overall performance. If not the individual losers, at least the overall performance in theory over a long period of time. I started at X, I'm now at Y. I've done this over time over a whole lot of stocks. I haven't just called one stock right once, but genuinely like, you know, I, I, I'm doing this and I'm reasonably good at it by virtue of a, a large sample over a long period of time. Anything less than that. And then just, you know, just be super careful. Yep. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Right, let's move on to, uh, speaking of which, 2022. What's going to happen? Oh, man, if there's one question I hate at the start of the year, it's and, and there's so many of them, um, you know. Wh- Before you say, i got a good question for you. Where's the ASX going to be by Christmas? Huh? Oh, God, where is it going to be by Christmas? <laughs> you know, if I really had any ability to do that on any consistent basis, I would probably be on a yacht somewhere and I probably wouldn't have to do all, you know, my job mm-hmm. and the rest of it, right? Like it's just no one knows. And, and what's interesting about it is like every year everyone gets asked and every year mm-hmm. everyone's always wrong. Um, but we, I guess there's, I don't mind it for a bit of fun. Like if it's sort of like a, if you treat it in the yeah. same spirit as an office tipping contest, it's, it is a good bit yeah. of fun. Um, but let's let's not pretend that there's there's <laughs> any any sort of ability for anyone to do that. Because well, I'll, I'll flip the question around. I mean, you you show to me someone who has consistently got it right for any meaningful uh, that he or she does not exist. And can I? Well, that to that point though, we wouldn't know because. The cycle and the the process and the reality of media and other places are that no one does the what happened this year, who was right article. Mm. They only ever do the new year, what do you think is going to happen article. Yeah. And so I, you know, I've said before, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet three separate tweets on 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 Twitter. Uh, I'm going to tweet that the market's going to be up a lot in 2022, the market's going to be down a lot in 2022, the market's going to be roughly flat in 2022. I'll tweet all three. And then when, I, when one's right, I'll retweet that one at the end of the year and go, see, I told you. Mm. You know, and it's kind of that idea of no one ever goes back and says, hey, we surveyed 15 economists or 15 market prognosticators or 15 whatever, and they said this and they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Or here's this person's track record over the last five years, so that's why we're asking them again. Or by, or by the way, not bothering to ask them. If you think about the people who get quoted every year in these surveys, I wonder how often I – mean, some of them would have been wrong four or five times in a row mm-hmm. by big amounts, right? Mm-hmm. And the others who are closer are probably closer because they stick to the average – and just mail it in, right? Oh, it's going to be about 10% a year. Yeah. And as you said before, it's never exactly 10. But if you get it wrong, you say, well, I said 10. Well, that's the historic average. I mean, that's a reasonable estimate, right? It wasn't my fault I'm wrong. And if they're right, because they say 12 or 13 or, or 7 or 8, see, I told you I was right. What, I, just, what just, I also see a lot of is the um, uh, it'll be it'll be wrong and then I'll be, oh, yeah, but COVID happened or, oh, yeah, but this happened. It's like... <laughs> So, that's so in point. other ways, it's, that, man, that's the point, right? You, you can't say, oh, I would have made oh, forecast would have been right yeah, if this yeah, if this yeah. thing didn't happen. But yeah, but it did happen, and that's that's what that's what your forecast is meant to do. Is not is not to sort of say what do you think the world should do in the next twelve months, but what is it yeah. going to do? It's all a cop out. I mean, again, a good bit of fun. It, uh, my my favorite forecast, and I. I I'm not even going to try and say who said it because I'm going to get it wrong, but it is. <laughs> the forecast is it will fluctuate. Blaise Pascal this time. <laughs> now that's JP Morgan. You should know that. JP one. Morgan, right. Um, John. You tell Pierpont. me it's JP Morgan. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. you're right. Pierpont Morgan. <laughs> um, but and, but it's, it's, the only, it's the only forecast that's guaranteed to be right. Yeah. Because it, yeah. whether it's a strong bullish market or a sideways or a fall, it's going it's to move around a lot. It's going to fluctuate mm-hmm. a lot. So that's one <laughs> forecast so cool. you can take to the bank. 
Yeah, it's crazy. I um I have to I have to I can't resist eating the booty and just gently to a, a former famous well still still famous not even former famous house price bear who when he got the forecast for prices wrong back in the early two thousands or mid to mid noughties. I had to walk to the corporate Kosciuszko. You know who I'm talking about, Andrew. Sure do. Um, and I'm not, I'm not bagging for the fun of it, except that it's worth. He said I would have been right, except the RBA changed policies. It's like that's kind of the point. That's exactly the point, right? You, it, it's I would have been right, except this happened. That's the point. And you know, I don't even think. And this is the problem with. And this is the problem with, with forecast Walmart. Even even with smart people, right? That he, he's absolutely right. He would have been right had the policy. That's exactly correct. One hundred percent accurate. Mm. Just not very useful because they did, and so the forecast was wrong, and so. It all top 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 Kosciuszko, yeah. and that's you know, I I, I mean I, I I actually poke fun a little bit actually because I know he's not not a bad bloke, Steve King. I'll mention him by name, uh, and you know he, he probably doesn't appreciate being reminded of it. I'm sure, um, but you know he's he's smart and he's thoughtful and his thesis was perfectly formed and could very well in a different universe have been 100 percent right. But that's almost the point. I, there's a I, I, I don't know who it is, mate. Someone talks about preparing, not predicting. I don't think that's the right approach for this sort of stuff is prepare for prepare for certain circumstances. Don't try and predict because it's useless and you'll probably be wrong anyway. But if you prepare for a range of outcomes, then you're probably better better set than if you try to predict the one thing you thought was going to happen and then put all your chips behind that idea. Mm. I've got a lot of sympathy for Steve. I, I think a lot of his argument made a lot of sense, continues to make a yeah, lot of sense yeah, to yeah, this yeah, day. Exactly. Totally there's, there's, you know, I'm a bit of a bear yep. on the Australian property market, so we, us bears probably no. stick together in, in, that, in that sense. But I guess... And this is this is where economists go mm-hmm. wrong, I think. And they, they, they go wrong because they're encouraged to do so in the sense that they, the media wants a headline. They, they want when's it going to fall, when and mm-hmm. by how much. And what he should have said was that actually there's all these structural <laughs> issues with our housing market and they're yep. actually a real yep. concern. Now, maybe they aren't realised or maybe they are and, and when they are, maybe there'll be some policy response. But nevertheless, there is an issue here. Now, had he just said that and stuck to that, mm. I actually think mm. I would say to you today, he's, he's absolutely right. He still is in a lot of ways. Um, you, know, you just you put yourself out there. You, people are talking yeah. about anchoring. Yeah. People anchor on the when. And it's like, ah, yes. you've got to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, that's well, right. Yeah, the same happened in 2008 with the global financial yeah. crisis. Yeah. There were a lot yeah. of bears that were sort of, sort of said to be right. But actually they were very early and since 2003 mm-hmm. and four, they'd sort of been calling for this kind of stuff. And again, their mistake was mm-hmm. to get too hyper-specific. In fact, everything they were worried about actually did get realised. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot, we, we sort of see that no one saw the GFC coming. Actually, quite a few people saw it uh, coming. But they, they could never pin down exactly when and the exact nature mm-hmm. of how, which is, which is what you've got to know if you're going to sort of trade this stuff and make money on it. Um, but again, that's, that's the flaw here. So I, I would be, I'm going to go sort of halfway down this road and I think that, yes, a mm-hmm. lot of these forecasts <laughs> deserve to be derided and laughed at. But at the same time, it is worth understanding the merits of the argument. What's the general thrust of the argument? Mm-hmm. Is this something with a asymmetric upside or downside or how, is it, how could this play out? I love, I love forecasts to sort of understand the way people are thinking about the world and how some, how some mm-hmm. possible futures might look. And obviously, ultimately, I've got to sort of probabilistically weight that into my thinking and, and my actions. Um, just, don't, just don't treat it as gospel. Mm, I like it. Makes perfect sense, mate. Hey, um. So, what is going to happen this year, though? Put, put a lot aside. Uh, look, what are, you, what are you what are you expecting? What are you preparing for? What are you worried about? What, what's in your What's in your mind? Well, it's actually not too different from how I saw things last year. We've had obviously COVID is the big thing. Um, 
uh, we continue to sort of move further into the Chinese century. Uh, I think it's pretty mm-hmm. fair to say. I th- I feel as though a lot of this uh, uh, action by reserve banks has put a lot of liquidity into the m- markets, not so much the real economy, but the markets. Mm-hmm. We have valuations mm-hmm. that on historical standards are really stretched mm-hmm. um, and maybe justifiably so if, if, if you retain the narrative of interest rates are going to be lower for longer and what else do... What else do the, the, the world's rich, what are they going to do with their money? Um, so I th- my favourite bit of that? What's the, that? The fav- my favourite acronym, my favourite new acronym. Well, it's not new actually, Please. but my favourite current one. Tina. But, uh, what's that again? There is no alternative. There is no alternative. That's right. Thank you. Yes. And that was kind of the idea of the central banks dropping rates so far. Part of what they wanted to do was push us into risk assets. In other words, shares and other things mm. because there is no, no. alternative, yeah. which is your point, what Tina. El- what so else like, do you gone. do? So I'm, right. I'm kind of pain. I've I, I got to be careful here because what I'm saying all sounds oh, really negative. Andrew's really nervous about the <laughs> I, I'm not. I, honestly, the market could go up 30%, 40% this year for yeah. all I know. Yeah. And often before, before any big corrections, you often see what's called a melt up. So things can get like really wild in the last little, <laughs> last little but I don't know. I don't know. But they're, they're definitely concerns mm-hmm. when I try and think macro that sort of weigh on me a little bit. So as we've talked about repeatedly, I mean, yeah. I still continue to choose to be largely fully invested. Um, I continue to focus very heavily on quality of businesses. They're, all businesses will suffer in terms of their share price, um, but and, and, and uh, actually financially, economically too, I'm sure. But some will be much more resilient than, than others as well. And the third thing is I try and keep a pretty close eye on valuation. So even when I really like a company, nice. I, I want to pay the world for it. So I kind of keep, I keep an eye on all, as you say, I'm more about being prepared than trying to predict. But I think all of those things sort of seem it's the, the 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 thing that's really different here in 2022, even 10 years ago, is that the world is forever changing, but the pace of change is so 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 rapid, and we are so more connected than we ever have been before. And you know, there's we've I don't know the, the, the we we're in a dynamic chaotic system. Anything could kind of happen, and if it's going to happen, it's. It could happen really quickly and often with these things, they're black swan. It's like everything that we're talking about that's on our radar, it'll be the thing that you don't see. The un- Donald Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns that'll come out and sort of slap you across the face at some point in time. But, uh, yeah, I, I am alert to all of those things. What about you? I think that's right. Um, I don't know. I, I, I literally don't expect anything. Um, I, I do like David Gardner's general approach, the Motley Fool co-founder, who just says, historically, the market goes up two years out of three. So when someone says, what's the market going to do this year? He always says it's going to go up because he figures that's better than a coin toss. He's going to be right more than he's going to yeah. be wrong. Yeah, it's a loaded which coin. Actually, which, actually, which is actually a nice little clever way to do it, right? It's like, yeah. you know, I, I'll be wrong sometimes, but if I say it'll go up, I'll be right more often than wrong. I look like a genius because everyone who's actually guessing are probably going to come out about 50-50 almost by definition. Well, after after go, a decade, you know he'll say, I, I called it six out of, or seven <laughs> exactly. out of 10 years. <laughs> and he does it, he does it tongue firmly in cheek for the record. He's not, he's not literally trying, he's saying exactly that. I know this is the case. Yeah. So I'm going to have some fun with the idea. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've got no idea. Um, as you said, mate, no one predicted the, the COVID smash up in, in 2020. No one predicted the house price to be up 21% in God, 2021 no, no either, by the way. That. And so, like, the, the, you know, and, and that came off the back of, by the way, absolute forecast. This is the other thing. Remember, remember the house prices might crash 30 to 40% by the end of the year in 2020? Remember those forecasts? Oh, I saw and that in like, 2019, 2018, 2017. Well, that's the other thing, right? Yeah. 
And that's what that's that's the thing about me saying about people actually being accountable for this stuff. No one goes and checks them. And next time the same mobs say house prices could crash, they're going to be faithfully reported in the papers because it gets clicks and everyone loves it. And maybe they're right this time. And, even, and journos love doom and gloom more than the rest of us, right? If it bleeds, it leads, as they say. Yes, and they yeah. love the hell out of that stuff. Um, there's always a problem. There's always something to worry about. There's always something to fear. And the journos will find it. And look, I love journos. There are some brilliant people doing it. They're just kind of built that way, right? They're, they're born cynics. That's why you do it. You're like, someone's lying to me. I'm going to catch him out. And they normally are. And they're normally right, mm. and so that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm. Um, you just got to be you just got to be careful. Um, I have no I have no expectations for this year. Um, if I, again, I, I, I take David Gardner's thing. I think it's more likely to go up than down. As you say about the, the melt up, as they're calling it these days. Um, your former boss, my former boss, Bruce Jackson, would say it's the um, uh, booms go on for longer than anyone expects. Oh yeah, and that that's also true, right? So true. Uh, so I, I I don't know. It, it's it's very possible that rising interest rates scare the hell out of markets. We could see some volatility for that reason. End of QE in the new year with the current year now, with tapering and all that kind of stuff. And no, no one knows. I expect volatility. I think it will come. There'll be some tough times. There'll be times when everyone's abandoning stocks. There'll be someone else saying buy and hold is dead because we're about due for one of those again. Yep. Um, with the volatility, they'll come around and say, well, if you're not actively trading, you're really, you know, it'll happen again. And you know what? Long-term investing, buy to hold investing will actually end up, funnily enough, winning again because that's what happens over the long term. So maybe it's not this year. Yeah. Maybe it's not even next year, but uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be pushed. You couldn't make me invest any other way because, frankly, there's no other data that says there's other ways, better ways to invest. So, do you know the way that I certainly can't do it? I, I, um, the, the best attitude you'll find is among homeowners, um, <laughs> and I say that because I knew this guy back to property somehow. I knew. It. I mean, no, but in a really positive way. Like someone who owns their own home has <laughs> yeah. largely yeah, yeah, got yeah, it paid absolutely. off, and you say to yep. them, "What do you think is going to happen with the property?" I mean, obviously yep. they're, they're Australian, so they they're gonna, they've got an opinion, right? But at the same time, you know, if, if, even if you came back from the future and said, oh, the property market's going to tank, I was like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, it's all right. I'll still live in my house, right? Like <laughs> yeah, that's right. they've got yes. that wonderful attitude and yes. perspective on it. Yes. So there's, not, there's, there's really not that, that um, uh, perverse thinking that's at play. And the way mm-hmm. that I think that best translates to our game of share market investing and buying stocks and all of this kind of stuff is just to remain so mm. corny and kitsch and the rest of it. But, I mean, it's true. You, you're actually buying a bit of a company, you know, and that mm. – that's that's the real question here. It's like, yeah, things could get really sucky, but if mm. the, if I own a little part of a business that's going to actually survive that, and you know, maybe is is it the worst thing in the world? I mean, forget the share market. Let's just say we owned a business outright. We went through this big yeah. horrible yeah, exactly. recession, yes. and yeah. we saw our top line fall back a little yeah. bit, but we managed to keep most of our staff on. Uh, we still got paid, and uh, then we came out the other side bigger and better and stronger than ever before. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know, mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not a tragedy, right? And and it, it the 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 market is never going to view it in that way. It's going to exaggerate short-term negatives and overinflate short-term positives. But but if you can keep coming back to that touchstone, as as old school as it is, um, it's such a valuable one. And and if if you can sleep well at night knowing that the business that you've invested in is in good hands and is pretty robust, even though share prices will move around, you just sleep easier at night. Yeah, great great advice, mate. Let's uh, let's finish off. I know, I know you well. You, see, you're not always a curmudgeon. You're not always a curmudgeon. I'm going to ask you to to stand to rise to that label. Well, it wasn't exactly a compliment, was it? it was just wasn't your <laughs> Probably rise. See, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to ask you for a New Year's resolution, and I don't want your first response to be I don't do New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> I want you to engage in the spirit okay. of the podcast in which we are engaged right now. Okay. I want you to put aside the curmudgeonness and the bar humbugness of the new year. I know you're not a fan of New Year's resolutions, Andrew, and feel free to explain why. And then <laughs> I want you to share with us either a few things you're going to do this year or 
if you must, if you can't commit to yourself, at least for those of our listeners who are looking for a bit of investing advice, a bit of a, bit of a New Year's resolution style, uh, something to grab onto, something to implement for themselves. Okay. What, what, what are some Andrew Page news resolutions for himself or at least for other people? There is one. On the, on the, you know, given this is the do as I say, not as I do podcast, feel free to go on the way with it. <laughs> no, I, I, I've got something in mind that I've been meaning to do, oh, okay. actually. Nice. Um, but yeah, generally I think New Year's resolution, I mean, statistically they just don't work. I mean, the, the numbers, they're, they're too specific. <laughs> There's over too long a time frame. It's better off mm-hmm. to have a, a season with a general direction. You know, this is... This is the summer of being more active or something like that. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of science on that. that, that Don't you have to commit to something to actually do it though? I thought specific goals were actually the key to getting something. No, yeah. Oh, broadly, I'll just do more stuff. It's like you won't actually do it because it's not a, you can't be be accountable to yourself on it. But when you have the hyper-specific stuff, when you start missing it, Mm. then then you have the, Mm. oh, I've missed it. Oh, it's all in the bin. Forget it. You know, where it's okay. you, you okay. want to you want to try and move in a general direction rather than hitting set target points that may or may not have been set realistically, and that if you do miss them for whatever reason, even a good one, you'll will actually act as a demotivator. Anyway, this is beside mm. the point. Um, I don't I don't think they're a great <laughs> idea, but they are a bit of fun. And one of the things that mm. I mm. will be doing, I mentioned this to our members recently, actually, is I need to go back to my portfolio and and try and build it again from scratch. Just, oh. just for an exercise. Um, I'll, probably, I'll probably end up with pretty much exactly what I've got at the moment. <laughs> but, but what happens is anyone who's been doing this for a while will know is that you generally you don't start with all the money you're going to invest and then just allocate yes. it 10% evenly yes. into 10 yes. different stocks yes. or whatever. You sort of buy some here, you buy some there, and one day you wake up, some have gone well, some haven't. You got mm. it just, The mm. thing just evolves and you sort of every now and again you look at it and it's like, holy, I've got 20% in this one company and here's mm. this other stock that's now worth half a percent and I'm spending all day and night thinking about <laughs> it when it makes bugger all difference, you know. So, <laughs> Yeah. I, I do want to come back and just um, uh, let me be clear. I'm not just going to race out and sell everything and then do it. But I, I want to just sort of say, look, are the companies that I've got, do they still? So good. Yeah, just do, do they still make the grade? Um, is my, is, a, is my thesis still on track? Um, what's the what's the return potential look like? Mm. Does it need more of a weighting? Does it lead less of a weighting? And just make some adjustments on that. Not wholesale adjustments, hopefully, mm. um, but just a little bit of a, a, a refresher and ho- hopefully a, a really cold, hard look in the mirror to make sure that I'm not mm. anchoring um, or suffering <laughs> from the – maybe I am on, on some, but just to, just to mm. make sure everything's kind of good. And I, I it, It's a hard exercise to do. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm actually going to start off by saying – how many dollars are in my portfolio? Right, that's the cash I've got. What am I going to buy? And then see how see how that lands. If it if it's mm-hmm. not too different, I probably won't do much. But if there's there's there may well be two or three sort of things that have moved out of whack, which I'll, I'll try and try and bring back into um, into alignment. Now, is this how often should you do this? I think it's actually something you should probably think about doing probably every six to twelve months. I just haven't done it for a while. And hey, okay. the new use is, is as good as any time to do it. Mm-hmm. Convince me that's not going to just cause you to be more active than you otherwise should be by leaving the hell alone. Uh, it, it might, although, as you know, I mean, I, over the last year, I've probably actually traded through my brokerage account five times, six times, not much at all. Mm. So I'm actually, it's not a problem I need to sort of uh, uh, try and fix because I, I, don't, I don't have that over trading problem. Okay. Um, the hard part with it, mate, is going to, is going to be objective. That's going to be the hard part because no matter how how I try, yeah, yeah, I've got baggage yeah. with yeah. all of these companies. Yeah, some yeah, really yeah. great baggage, by the way. Others, others not so good. That's gonna <laughs> that that is going to be the challenge here. And as I say, the point mm. of the exercise is is to just sort of see what is what does the ideal look like as opposed to the um, the actual. 
And after I do it, you know, I'll probably lighten the load on something and then it'll triple and then I'll add something more to something <laughs> and it'll halve and then that'll screw with your brain a little bit more. But That's almost my point though, right? Isn't it, isn't it too timid to kind of go, oh, I'll make it all roughly average. Here's why I have, I, like we, at the Motley Fool, we have teams of people involved in stock picking and each of our servers runs independently for, for the record. So there's some stocks I love that other people hate and vice versa and that's completely cool. But for the services I run, I specifically have a um, benevolent dictatorship approach, right? Which is, I want to hear everyone's opinions. I want to hear what everyone's got to say. I hope I don't annoy them in the process, but I'm going to say no a hell of a lot. And I'm going to go with what I think at the end of the day. Not because I'm a genius, not because I'm an expert, not because I'm the only person who can be right, but because at the end of the day, it's my name on the door. And stock picking by consensus kind of rubs all the rough edges off. The, the things, the weird, weird eccentricities that I have that thus far have meant we've delivered market beating performance for 10 years are probably worth keeping and... The, the, they, the team might save me from a mistake, <laughs> but if they also save me, in air quotes, from a success and my success is bigger than my mistake, I'm actually better off making both. Mm. And so I, I absolutely love the team that I work with. I value them deeply. I love their research. They're smart, capable guys or I wouldn't bother even talking to them. I do it on myself. But I make the final calls on all of my services. And because at the end of the day, I'm the guy who's going to walk the plank either way, right? If I'm a genius or, a, or an idiot, it's my, my head on the block. But more importantly, I really do believe that the fullness of your investing approach, if you start to get it right, is worth doing. Don't you run the risk of going, oh, let's make it all about 5%. Take a little bit of there, take a little bit of there. That seems too much. That seems unreasonable. That's not enough. Don't you run the risk of kind of almost kind of whitewashing them? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, can, can I, if I do that to the portfolio, is that going to just, you know, kind of make it all a bit too moderate, a bit too kind of, yes. you know, samey, samey, beige, not very interesting. Well, it, look, if I get to the conclusion that I should hold 10% of stock X, Y, and Z, and it turns out I've got seven, <laughs> I'm not going to do anything, right? I'm talking That's about right. things that just don't gel with a fresh, that then when looked at with a, with fresh eyes. Nice. Um, and and you're right. You you, you don't want to over tweak for the for, for that for the heck of it. You're going to potentially have tax consequences. You're going to have commissions. Yeah. You're going to have to pay yeah. all of that yeah. kind of stuff. And just and yeah. just as I said before, you know, you're, you're just needing to sit in in the room and put your hands and sit on your hands is, is a very good thing to have. But I I do uh-huh. I also know that of all the frailties I've I've got, there are some things that yeah. probably when looked at with an objective lens just don't warrant having the, the waiting mm, at mm, least mm. that they've got there now. And sometimes this might be, in fact, <laughs> sounds like a humble brag. It's not meant to be, but there are some stocks <laughs> I've got at the moment. I'm just very, very good, it turns out. <laughs> well, I, I really like the business and I bought a meaningful yeah. uh, stake in a few of them and they did mm, really well last mm. year. Do I still like the business? Yeah. Yes. Do I think the price is as attractive? <laughs> Actually, no, I don't. So, mm, so mm. yes, I love the business. It's playing out really well. The value's not there. That's fine. I'm not going to sell just because I'm, I'm not overthinking that. But does it does it need to be twenty percent of my portfolio? I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. one of one of the good problems to have is when a stock goes really really well, it does come to dominate a, a large yeah. and it's just like it's just prudent portfolio management says that unless my evaluation expectations have gone up significantly or my conviction has gone up significantly. Well, actually, by virtue of the share price going up, the value is actually less attractive. And at the same time, I'm now holding twice as much of it in my, or as a proportion of my portfolio than I did before. Logically, it doesn't make sense. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to prejudge this. As I said, it, it may well be that nothing needs to change. But I want to go through that exercise mm-hmm. just in case that that is the case. And it's not going to be the worst tragedy in the world if I think, oh, I really like that, but not as much as I used to. 
for all the right reasons because the shares have done so well and they lighten a little bit and it continues to go up. Hey, I've still got a really good weighting and I'm still going to be okay. Yeah. But it yeah. does mean that if there is a bit of a stumble in one of these things, it's just like when you have a stock that's 20% of your portfolio and it halves, <laughs> yeah. you know. You feel it. You really feel it. You know, Even if you've yeah, got a, yeah, two, yeah. a 2 or 3% weighting stock in there that does extremely well, it's yeah. just not going to yeah. make up for it. So I, I do think I'm, 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 I'm stumbling with my words because I, it's, again, this sort of dichotomy that we were talking about before where you've kind of mm-hmm. got to hold – two diametrically opposed ideas in your head at, at the same time. You know, one one which being just just don't fiddle, just just continue to build. The other one being, well, you know, you don't you don't want your portfolio to be really sillily weighted mm-hmm. and holding mm-hmm. stocks that you no longer hold conviction in. <laughs> it makes yeah. it makes it really hard. No, it does, it does, it does. One last question. How do you think about that when it comes to adding more money into your portfolio? How do you yeah. think about the now versus the future? Yeah, so I very much I, I'm a I've always liked it, and as I've gotten older, I've liked it more and more. Which is, I think it's a Peter Lynch one, which is the best stock to own mm. is one you likely already hold. Right. Um, so generally speaking, I if there's I really like this. Well, on one hand, it's it sucks, but on the other hand, I really like this situation where you've got a business mm. that you're as confident of as you ever were. But for whatever short-term reason, the market's fallen a bit out of love with it. Maybe there's been a little bit of a short-term issue or something. And then if I've got fresh money on the sidelines, it just makes a hell of a lot of sense to add to it. I know the business really well. I feel as though I can put a clear narrative around it as to why the market's fallen out of love with it. And I don't think the market's being valid in that instant. Um, You know, this idea that you have to be across 2,000 stocks and always go for something new, (laughs) I just, you know, I'm a broken record with my mates when we start talking shares because it's always Mm -hmm. the same few. But that's that's kind of my edge or one of the edges I I think I hope I have in the sense that I'd rather than being a jack of all trade master of none, I just – I'm an inch deep for most stocks and then on, there's a there's a small handful I feel as though I can go deep diving on, like I can really mm, talk about mm, mm. and I just know the history. I just know it really, 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 really well. Again, therein lies the danger of the endowment effect yes, and getting too weighed to it. But as <laughs> long right. as, big asterisk, you feel as though you're mm, being objective, mm, I just think that's a wonderful place to start for fresh money. I like it, mate. I like it. Um, I'll share a couple of thoughts and we'll wrap it up. I am trying to go through this coming year to learn some new things. So one of my one of my uh, new resolutions of sorts, I don't really do a resolution either, mate, to be honest, but if I think about what I want to do more of this year is widen my circle of competence to use Buffett's phrase. And I am really, <coughs> I think I'm reasonably good at consumer-facing product brands in different sorts. I made some mistakes, absolutely. But I'm generally relatively good at that stuff. And I'm generally relatively good at being very, very patient and having a high pain threshold when it comes to short-term movements. Uh, and if I can see long-term business opportunities and inexpensive price the markets hates, I can, I can absolutely set it out. And frankly, it's easier to do consumer-based products or brands you know because you know them. And so it's easier to handicap the odds, I think, in a way that if you have a business that's... So a bit, think about B2B business, a business-to-business company that you know sells uh, widgets to other businesses. And you're like, I've never used this business before. I have no idea what it does or how it does it. I really find it hard to judge. I still will. Um, because how do you know whether you know, the, the widget buyers are going to prefer someone else's widgets this year? If, you, if you're a consumer, you at least have, you can actually kind of feel, touch, look at, understand the business. And we're all, consu- we're all consumers. I don't, I don't have a massive edge in that, but I think a bit of time taken, spending the time on that does make sense. Mm. But I'm going to try and widen my circle of competence this year. Um, tech in particular, uh, business to business kind of areas, I'm going to try and look at. The other thing I try and do is rethink how I think about risk. And I've said this a little bit before, and I don't really have a strong view of where we'll end up, but I may simply just say, so here's the other thing, by the way, 
if you if you if you struggle with something, it might be okay just to have that weakness and work on your strength, right? Improving your strengths rather than trying to overcome your weaknesses can be a more useful approach. So you know, leaning into your strengths rather than focusing on this thing, you might be able to get from a an F to a D plus. It's like, well, you could, but if I can get my A to A plus, it's probably more value creation there. But that being said, I've missed a whole lot of businesses like Afterpay, for example. When I looked at it years ago and said, well, no one really knows whether they're going to pay it back. No one knows what the credit quality is going to be like. The regulator might step in. This and that might all be true. And those risks were real. And yet the shares went from $2 to 150 And so overweighting the downside of an investor, and everyone's different, right? Some investors absolutely just live on the whole, I'm not going to, I'm going to my age is going to be not making mistakes. I'm going to be absolutely right about as much as I possibly can and make a little bit of money every time I'm right. Other investors do the other thing. They're the venture capital investors by saying, hey, I'm going to go absolutely, I'm going to get one out of 20 right. But I'm right, I'm going to get a million percent return like a Facebook or something at the IPO. That's how I'm going to make my money. I'm in between. I'm absolutely in between. I don't mind making mistakes. I've made plenty. Uh, but I'm not sure if I've made enough mistakes. And, and there might be a, a version of the future in which buying Afterpay and Zoom and I don't know, pick a, pick a company. Yeah, that's kind of the big, the big winners. Mm. Might actually be a more productive use of my capital and my time. Mm. And so I'm going to think about, I'm going to try and work through mentally as much as literally, it's, a, it's an internal exercise, right? So, you know, I know all the theory, but it's just really working through how to balance off the risk I'm taking and the potential return that's on offer and not trying to avoid a bit of risk if the upside is meaningfully larger. Yeah. And so just getting that probabilistic thinking tuned yeah, you know, I, I may finish where I start, which is I still don't know that I can do it any better. I could buy a million biotechs and lose money on all of them. So it's not a numbers game in itself. But just trying to think through how I can best align my own risk tolerance and, and understand probabilistic outcomes that might or might not improve my investing. I, I might be here this time next year going, you know what, I did. I chose not to change because I, I didn't feel like I could actually put the odds any further in my favour because I still can't handicap those odds very well. Um, that's what I'm going to try and have a look at this year. Yeah, nice. Uh, investing is a journey, you know, it's, and it's a journey about – God, I'm really being corny today, but it's a journey about discovering yourself, really. Is, is it a 1,000 miles to start with a single step? It's shorter, <laughs> I think it. Well, it, it's so true. Like, I mean, there's yeah. what works for yeah. one person won't work for another. Um, yeah. Not through process, right. but yep. just through yep. alignment of temperament and, you know, all, all, and, and just aligning with your, your general skill set and knowledge base and, yep. and all the rest of it. So um, I'm a very different investor than I was five years ago. I'll probably be a different mm-hmm. investor again. So I think that's that's the that's the key thing, though, is to continue to learn and continue mm-hmm. to kind of push yourself and recognise where, where your circle of competence does lie and really just sort of, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, focus and work on that. It's... It's a journey, but it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun and hopefully pretty rewarding too. Starts with a single step, mate. That's that's right. Know thyself. That's it. Um, uh, that's all I can come up with. Uh, that being said, I think we're done, mate. Will you come back on Sunday? You know it. In the meantime. Follow Andrew on Twitter. He's exclusively on Twitter with a special seven-figure deal he's done with Jack Dorsey and the Twitter team at Twitter to be exclusively only on the uh, the Bird Network. Go to Sage underscore Simeon to follow Andrew personally where you can give him grief about Pushpay or follow me at TMF Scott P where you can give me grief about Good Drinks Australia or Gage Roses it was once known. Uh, also follow Andrew's company business at Strawman Invest. You can follow us at The Motley Fool AU. I'm also on Twitter, so is The Motley Fool under those same handles, TMF Scott P or The Motley Fool AU. And you can, of course, follow us on Facebook, uh, just facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia or facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money. You can leave us questions there, make comments, do all that kind of good stuff. Uh, if you want to, you can email us, info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au. But otherwise, follow Andrew, follow me. We like having lots of followers, lots of fun interactions like we did with Shane this week or three weeks ago as the case might be. But uh, come back 
and follow us on the socials. In other words, just come and interact. It's more fun when we chat. See you Sunday. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.